we'll be studying one of the most important passages, actually, of all of Scripture, because it explains so much of both the Old and the New Testament. And it's found in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. It says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Father, again, we thank you for your word. Lord, may we truly understand that all that happened to Abraham. And Lord, as we understand Abraham, help us to understand how salvation comes to us. Lord, again, it's not by works. It's not by what we can do. But only through what you have already done through your son on the cross. Father, I pray that we get a better grip of justification by faith. Lord, again, thank you that because of justification, we can not only stand declared righteous before you, but we can grow in our righteousness uh, concerning you. Lord, I pray that we would be doing that, that we would be in being sanctified. Lord, help us to not take sin lightly, because somehow we think, well, we're justified, so what does it matter? I pray that you would guide our thinking, help us to see how works play in along with faith, but it doesn't make us saved. Lord, as we look at the book of James, it's a hard passage. I pray that you give us wisdom. And I pray that you would help us to even evaluate ourselves, to examine ourselves, to see if we're in the faith. Lord, if there's anyone here that may be religious, but not truly saved, I pray that this might be their day of salvation. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. If you'd like to turn your Bibles, we're going to be in Galatians 3 and also James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. So you may want to have a, your hand in both areas. Actually, we're going to only be in Galatians for just a moment. Um, because when we get to this passage, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness... We have to go to other passages to define, to understand all that's happening in Abraham's life. And I've chosen to go to the book of James, chapter 2, to do that. Now, just to let you know, that verse is a quote from the Old Testament, Genesis 15, verse 6, where originally he was declared righteous by God. It also appears in Romans 4 and James, chapter 2. So, you can... Now, actually, you can just go to James, because really, I'll be referring back, but you know it. Abraham what? Believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So you got it. You don't have to go back. But in James chapter 2, this passage in 14 through 26 is a, is a very controversial passage. A good part of it is talking about Abraham. It's talking about how does works play in with faith, not for faith, but with faith. But there's a, a place in there where it seems to major contradict the Scriptures, like the Scriptures are contradicting the Scriptures. And it's found in verse 21, chapter 2, verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? You see that? Was not our father Abraham justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Then he says, do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which said Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness, which is Galatians 3.6. 
But then again, verse 24, and you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Not by faith alone. And, and yet, really, we've been in Galatians for a number of months and we've been saying over and over again that justification, being declared righteous, is by faith alone. So I thought, you know, not that many of you have actually asked me about that particular passage, but I thought, you know, we should really look at that passage for a couple of weeks so that you have a real clear understanding of what James chapter 2 is talking about. And how does works play in with faith Again, this, this was a very controversial passage 500 years ago during the Reformation time when the Protestants pulled away from the Catholic Church. Uh, a lot of Catholic theology is based on specifically James 2, 14 to 26. So again, this is, a, this is a passage that I believe has been heavily misunderstood over the years and we need to study it. Which brings us to the, the question, what should we done when the Bible seemingly contradicts itself? Galatians says Abraham was justified by faith, and yet James seemingly is saying, like 24, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And I'm sure that you've come to passages, you know, in your daily reading or whatever, hopefully you're in daily reading, when you're studying the Word of God periodically, hopefully every day. But when you're studying the Word of God and you come across something and you and it, it looks like, wait a second, this seems to contradict this other passage. Especially when you get to the, uh, like the Gospels and like the, like the resurrection and who showed up at the tomb first? Was there one? Was there two? Was there four women? Was there any men? How did it all play out? And it seemingly contradicts itself. Or when in Matthew 18 it says, you know, where two or three are gathered there, am I in the midst of them? Well, I thought he was in. The, I thought he was in me. I didn't think I had to have anyone else there. What does that mean? You know, is it talking about prayer? No, actually, it's talking about church discipline there. But you know what I mean. There's many times in Scripture when you're reading along and you and you look at something, and you say, well, wait a second, that doesn't. You know, how do I deal with that? It seems to contradict. How should we deal with a problem passage? Um, again, do we make a judgment on it? Well, these are a couple, three things. I don't think I put these in your notes. I'm pretty sure I didn't. But these are some things, first of all, that you should consider when you're dealing with a problem passage, a possible contradictory passage. First of all, bring all the relevant facts to light. Bring all the rele relevant facts to light. Rather than suppress one passage over another. Let's hear what, again, in this scenario, let's hear what Paul has to say, as well as James, and I would say this, as well as Moses, because Moses wrote the book of Genesis. Realizing that the Spirit of God has inspired both passages, or actually all three passages. And, and, and always remember this, that when you really come to the interpretation, there's only one interpretation, and they all need to work together in the final analysis. Many applications, one interpretation. We're trying to work towards that one interpretation, knowing that God wrote the entire book. He used man, 40 authors, but he wrote the entire book himself, God the Spirit. So the first thing is bring all the relevant facts together that you can think of. Number two, compare Scripture with Scripture. That's the second thing. This is where you start comparing things. Like I said, with this particular passage... 
uh, Abraham believed God and was accounted him for righteousness appears in four different spots throughout Genesis, Galatians, obviously, then uh, James, and also Romans. There, there's different places that you can check out what the authors were saying. Again, Scripture is, it, is its own best and only infallible interpreter. <laughs> because again, it's, the, it's God that wrote it. So we need to put Scripture by Scripture. And as we do this, passages that seem to be contradictory may actually ultimately end up agreeing. You find that often. Well, you thought originally it was contradictory, but now, oh, I see. Or one passage may complement the other passage. So either the contradictory part ends, but you see they agree, or maybe they complement each other. And again, I believe that Paul, just, just so you know ahead of time, I think Paul, I believe Paul is emphasizing faith for salvation, and James is emphasizing the importance of, fa- of works after salvation. I believe they're looking at salvation from two different directions. Paul is saying, to get saved, justified, you have to have faith. But James says, if you think someone's out there who doesn't have anything to do with works, that they say they're a Christian, but they're not growing in their holiness, no go. <laughs> okay? In other words, that's, James is looking at salvation or uh, works after salvation. So bring all the relevant facts to light. Compare Scripture with Scripture. And number three, if necessary, suspend judgment. Now, this is a hard one. Um, Again, what if you can't make the facts agree or complement? I mean, sometimes we have to suspend judgment. Um, Pride would say this, that I have the ability to know total truth always. That's proud. That somehow, well, you know what, I have to get the answer today, so I'm going to come to a conclusion. Sometimes with certain truths, you just have to put in the spiritual crockpot and let it sit for a while. Just let it sit. Lord, I'm not, I don't understand this. Lord, give me direction. Give me understanding. Help me to know. Help me to understand. Help me make sure that this one truth that I'm trying to weave in doesn't make me a heretic, because sometimes that's what happens. I've got to justify this. I, I'm, I've got to make this work. That's the way I'm talking about justify. And so we get all these sometimes weird thinkings, trying to get everything to work. And I think sometimes God said, just go put in the spiritual crockpot. Just chew on it for a while. Think about it. Number four, if you want to add one more, is context. Let's look at the context. Context, context, context. A text without a context is what? Pretext, right? It's gonna, not going to work. We're going to go on with preconceived notions. This is what I think. This is, and sometimes we study the scriptures like that anyways. It's too bad. Because we're really not going saying, Lord, what did you write? We go in saying, well, I know what God wrote. And be very careful with that. So we need to know the context. Now, if you, let's look at the context, and we're going to just kind of give an overview. Then I'm going to actually read the passage. Okay, I haven't read it yet to you, but I understand that. I'm going to try to give you some, because we only have a short time. Again, there is apparent contradiction. Look at verse 14. Again, all this is James 2.14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Says he has faith, but he doesn't have any works that associate or go along with that faith. Can that faith save him? Can that faith save him? And that's the whole point of this whole passage to the end of the chapter. Can that type of faith save him? Is that true God-given justifying faith? 
Someone says he has faith, he promotes faith, he's not trying to be deceptive, by the way. He just walks around, he even became a church member, he might even become a leader in the church. And he, and he gave all the right answers, but then you start looking at his life and you say, well, there, where's the works? Where's the conviction? Where's the change? Where's the transformation? Where's him wanting to sacrifice for Christ? Where's him wanting to give to even the, the ministry? Where's him uh, using his spiritual gift? Can that type of faith save him? Now, I'm not going to answer that yet. But again, the, the apparent contradiction is that. And Abraham believed, he believed, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Like Romans 3.23 says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So we have to scrutinize this, this whole passage here. And there's a lot of questions that are going to start generating. That, by the way, that's another good thing about... If, if you come to a passage and you're really not sure, start writing questions down about the passage. Maybe pieces that God will give you that you can put it together then. Like, I'll give you five questions here. Is James saying that a person gets saved in a different way than Paul says? That's an obvious one. I mean, is James writing... By the way, some authors thought that. Like, Luther called James a straw epistle. It's a mighty straw... straw, He called it a straw straw epistle. In other words, Luther looked at the book of James like, don't even bother with it. It wasn't worth looking at. I mean, look at it. Got his theology wrong. Well, wait a second here. It's in, the, it's in the canon of Scripture. Martin Luther was wrong. By the way, when we quote like Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, MacArthur, understand, we're all fallible. They're all fallible, and it doesn't mean that every, every opinion they have is correct, right? Yeah, don't say amen too loud. Is James saying, number two, is James saying that a person does not get saved by faith alone? Is that what this passage is talking about? It's not. And again, what is the reason that James puts so much emphasis on works? He uses the works 12 times. Just in those few verses, 12 times he's using the word work. So it's, I mean, why does he keep using? Number four, what is the relationship between faith and works? That's an. You know, what is it? I mean, if there are works, what is the relationship between the two? And does it matter how, does it matter how one lives once you are saved? Is faith the only thing that matters? And I think that's what James is actually all referring to. That there is faith alone, but there is something that happens. Works comes alongside. And that is important. So whereas Paul is stressing the root of salvation, James, I believe, is stressing the fruit. So Paul says, justified by faith alone. James says, but let me show you the fruit of true salvation. Because James would say it this way, listen, there's a lot of easy believism out there. You know, just believe Jesus, everything's fine. Go live your life however you want, because let's face it, he saved you, and then someday you'll be in heaven. There was easy believism back then as well as today. Some people call it church light. Church light, L-I-T-E. In other words, you know, basically, we just want, Jesus wants you on his team. And really, it doesn't matter how you, you know, what else you do after that. He just wants you on his team. And then from then on, it's your baby. You just do everything you want because he'll save you. And James says, listen, there is fruit if you are truly indwelt by the Spirit of God, there are results. 
In fact, even Paul said that in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You can quote it for me, right? For by grace are you saved through that selves. It is the gift of... All right, so for by grace you're saved through faith. Faith alone. And it doesn't have works lest any man should what? Boast. How about verse 10? For we are His workmanship creating Christ Jesus for good works. Right there. Actually, Paul in that passage says both things. You're saved by faith, but you're going to have works. That's results. That's fruit. Actually, Paul said you have your root of salvation is faith. Your fruit is good works. So we have these different... Or you could say it this way. Paul is looking at salvation from God's perspective. James is looking at it from man's. Can I see your heart? I can't see your heart. That's the hard thing. I wish I could. It would make my job a lot easier sometimes. Wouldn't that be great if you could see a heart monitor, the spiritual heart monitor as you walked in? Um, Cold. Kind of warm ungodly, lustful, hot. Actually, two people came through hot, ready to worship. You know, as you're walking through, mm, 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 false believer, false profession. It'd be great if you could know someone's heart. But the reality is you can't. You know what the thing is, though, guys? Actually, God sees you and he knows. That's the convicting thing. Some of us have come in today and maybe you didn't even prepare your heart and you sang songs of worship that really didn't come from the heart and actually there's sin in your life and purity and you haven't confessed it. Hey, we're all sinners, but we have to confess it, right? I trust at this very moment that you're walking with God, right? But I think Paul is looking at it from God's perspective. He sees the heart. But James is saying, listen, works, that's something that man can see. You know, if you see smoke coming out of a chimney, what? You assume that there's a fire in the fireplace, right? And if a person says they got saved by faith in Jesus Christ, you assume that there's going to be works in the life. There's going to be things that are happening in that person's life because there's the Holy Spirit in the heart. And, f- and one final thing, and I've been just kind of comparing. I didn't put any of this in your notes, but, just to, but the word justify has a couple different meanings one is to be declared righteous. That actually is the main, re, uh, the main way that justified is used in Scripture. But when James says that a man is, verse 24, justified by works and not by faith alone, that the word justify can also mean validated. Or in other words, evidence of. A man has evidence of true faith because of the works. That's the idea. So again, justify can mean validate. So Paul was going after legalism and Judaizers who were trying to say you have to add in works. And Paul was very clear, no, no, justification by faith alone. But James apparently had people in the church who were thinking, well, it doesn't matter about works. In other words, I want to... Jews get far as away from the, the works thing as possible. It doesn't matter. God doesn't care. God doesn't care how I live. He just cares that I receive His Son. And that's not true either. So, think of it this way. Instead of looking at Paul and James as like soldiers opposed to each other, 
One man said this, it's been well said that Paul and James are not soldiers of different armies fighting against each other, but soldiers of the same armies fighting back to back against different foes. James is trying to answer the the question of, is it really important to live for Christ? And Paul is looking at the the topic of, but how do you actually get saved? So they're, they're soldiers of the same army, but different foes addressing different problems in the church. That's the crazy thing about church. <laughs> There's so many different problems, so many different issues. And so James is writing one about one issue and Paul on the other. So let's go back to James chapter 2, verse 14 and just start breaking it down. It's going to take a couple weeks. And, and really, the real question on, the, on hand is this. This is, what the, this is the question that James is answering. Along with talking about Abraham, he's answering, what does real faith look like? I mean, how do you know that you're really saved? Scripture says, examine yourself, see if you're in the faith, 2 Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourself. Uh, help your kids examine themselves to see if they're truly in the faith. You have a father. Maybe he's getting older. He's made a profession, but you look at him and you say, boy, he doesn't seem to have any fruit. Help him to examine himself to see if he's in the faith. James is asking, or answering the question, what does real faith look like? Because the last thing a person, wouldn't it be sad if, wouldn't it be sad that if the rapture happened at this very moment, half were left in this church? Because everyone that's truly saved is gone in the rapture, but what if half were left? Well, gee, I've been a teacher all these years. I thought I was a Christian. Or your children were left. Or your husband was left. What does real faith look like, James is saying? Because, again, it's such a a critical question. He he answers it by illustration. Well, he makes a statement, then he answers it by illustration. Again, verse 14 is the is the statement. It's a rhetorical question. Does it profit my brethren if a man says he has faith, but he doesn't have works? I mean, does it profit him if he says he has faith? In other words, if the person came down the aisle and he fell on his face before at the altar and he prayed the prayer, he raised his hand, he signed the card. In fact, he even took the new believers class. But he's but but underlying the word says. He says he has faith. And he's, by the way, very genuine in this. This is a person, again, that is deceived. He's not trying to be deceiving. He's de- he says he has faith. He spoke it, he affirmed it, he maintained it, he taught it. In other words, is someone saved simply because they professed salvation? They were sincere. It's a hypothetical case. He's not trying to purposely deceive. He's very sincere. You know, but he's living in this culture of easy believism. Our culture is so much like that. Jesus Christ has become servant, not master. I'm doing a whole study on this master Lord. Jesus came to be Lord. Do we understand that? Not your servant. Jesus did not come to be our servant. Jesus basically said this. There are two armies out there, and I represent one, and I have died for those who want to be in my family, yes, but who want to have me as their master. You can have Satan as your master. I am on this side. I am the master. 
Anybody that wants to follow, what do you have to do? You have to deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be suffering. Count the cost. It's not easy. I'm not here to make your life happy. That's really what Jesus... Jesus did not come to make our... This life may be very hard. Take it, you know, go anywhere else in the world. Most anywhere else, and there's persecution among Christians. Here it's not like that, right? It's coming, though. In fact, you're going to hear me say this more and more. In fact... Steve Reck was telling me an illustration. I meant to get it from you earlier. But it went something like this. Uh, A guy, two guys came, correct me if I'm wrong later, but two guys came through the doors, gun, uh, face mask, basically said this of a group of Christians. Anybody that doesn't want to die for Christ, get out. Deny him and you can go. If you stay there'll be problems. What would you do? Two-thirds of them left. Everybody's tense that stayed. They took, he, the two guys took off their mask and said, now we can have church. The false believers just left. Would you be willing to die for Christ? Actually, he said, would you be, living, be willing to live for me? Again, Jesus Christ came to be master. He's Lord. He's King. In fact, so much, so much of the New Testament has got the slave mentality. And unfortunately, our Bibles always translate the word doulos, which always means slave, as servant. And somehow we think, well, you know, but that's what he means in Matthew 6. Um, no man can serve, can be a slave to do masters. By the way, a servant can have two masters. I can serve this person here and then because I'm free. A servant is free, but a slave is not free. A slave has only one master. And, and that's why that passage in Matthew 6 is so important because in the midst of that, Jesus is talking about, because it's, it's the Sermon on the Mount, about um, worry. Now think about this. It's a slave mentality. A slave didn't have to worry about food. Why? It had to do with the master. The master was the one that determined the food for the slave. Okay? Do you see what I'm saying? In other words, Matthew 6, we think of servant. We think of, well, Jesus is talking about worry and don't worry. Actually, what he's talking is this. Listen, if you're a slave, you can't have two masters. It's either over there or it's me. And if it's me, why are you worrying? Because a slave was always taken care of by the master. I don't have to worry. If I look at myself as a slave of Christ, I don't have to worry. And that's actually a fruit of salvation. I look at Jesus Christ as a master, not as the genie. Give me the goodies. Just make my life happy. Well, I went very far from where I was planning, but I want you to get the flavor of of when Paul is saying, or excuse me, James is saying, can that type of faith save him? Here's a person who received Christ, apparently just thinking, well, it was just belief. It didn't have anything to do with works. It doesn't have to do with my transformation. And Paul asks a rhetorical, can that faith save him? And the answer is, it actually has a definite article. Can that type of the faith save him? And the answer is what? No. No. No, no, no. This is false faith. It's bogus. It's barren. It's sincere, but it's not saving faith. Okay, it's sincere faith, not saving faith. Real faith is more than just mere sincerity or profession. It's truly putting a person's faith and trust in the, and this is how it's always played out, in the Lord Jesus Christ. You notice how many times Lord is used? Lord, He's the Master. 
Lord Jesus Christ used, I think, 700 sometimes in Scripture. The Lord, the Lord. Well, James moves on from asking the question, can that type of faith save him? No. And then he gives an illustration about compassion. Eh, Let's see this. If a brother and sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you, now catch this word, says, did you see the connection there? Here's someone that's sane, just like this other person says, I have faith. Well, here's someone says, well, I have, you know, he says, depart in peace, be warm, be filled. But you do not give them the things that, which are needed for the body. What does it profit? I mean, can you imagine, by the way, the, the word naked and destitute doesn't necessarily mean that they're without total clothes and absolutely no food. What it really has the idea of, it can be used both ways, but I think he's dealing more like this, that a person has less than what is needed, still has maybe a, a cracker, but nothing else. Naked and destitute, and someone comes along, and they are talking, and let's say it's me, and I say to them, oh, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, but I never give them anything. Uh, what, would, what is James saying? Does that make sense? You, you say to be warmed and filled, but you're not willing to give of your own um, extras? I mean, does that make sense? Is that, so he's, he's just bringing it back as an illustration. First uh, John 3 says this, Whoever has this world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? No, I mean, if you see your brother in need and you're not willing to... Uh, give to your brother, you have to start asking the question, do I truly have God's spirit in me? Because it doesn't seem to have compassion. Jesus is trying to, I mean, uh, John is trying to stretch us. He, He goes on, he says this, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. I, I believe James's, um, illustration gives us one of the ways that works played out through faith, that we're willing to sacrifice for our brother. We're willing to give. We're willing to meet someone else's need. An English preacher uh, happened across a friend whose horse had been accidentally killed. So there's this preacher and there's this dead horse. While the crowd of onlookers expressed empty words of sympathy, the preacher stepped forward and said to, to the loudest sympathizer, I am sorry, five pounds. How much are you sorry? See, we say we're sorry, we want to meet needs. You know, but do we pass the hat? Do we actually provide? If Jesus is Lord and we're part of his family, we need to be looking out and be willing to give to each other. And that's part of works. That's part of true faith. Profession requires action. Real faith requires or will exhibit compassion. And that's why in verse 17, look at what he says. 17, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. If if you say you have faith, but is it saving faith? Does it have works that accompany it? Or is it dead? Is it lifeless? Is it that you endure the service and you go home having forgotten everything and really there's little there's no transformation in life it's lifeless I trust that by the way I trust that it's not like that for any of you but again when when Paul says in Galatians 3 Abraham believed 
and it was accounted of him for righteousness. We have to see, and next week we'll see this very clearly, that with Abraham, faith worked in his life. There was huge changes in Abraham's life because of saving faith. It wasn't comfortable, it wasn't easy believism. God worked through Abraham to transform him. It wasn't dead faith. It wasn't lifeless faith. Look at verse 18. Now we come to an imaginary objector. Like a third person, it might be, he might be thinking of himself, but he says, but, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Now again, so two people kind of, you know, not arguing, but just comparing notes. Uh, you have faith, you say you have faith, but I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You, you say you have faith, but you don't want to do anything with works. Well, listen, I have works, but, but, but notice what he says. I will show you my faith. In other words, he's not saying he doesn't have faith. He just says, I'll show you my faith by my works. By what I do, you will see that I am a believer. So again, just because I can remember an experience, a moment in time when I received Christ, and I bent the knee, at least I remember that, is not enough. It should be that my life is, is um, being transformed, and works follow faith. It's not enough just to remember a date and a place. It's not enough to say, then I'm saved. And, and by the way, I'm, I, I, keep, I come back to this topic periodically. See, we're a church that has youth programs. Very glad for all that. And sometimes kids raise their hand and they get saved. You know, they make the profession. I'm just so concerned that we as parents don't stop right there. Like, well, I, at least I know they're saved because I remember when they made a profession. Well, wait a second. Are their lives being transformed by the power of God? So here's a person that says, um, you know, I have faith and I have works. Well, remember what that person, remember when the people came to Christ, Matthew 7, and not everyone who says to me, Jesus says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but those who do the will of my Father in heaven. And finally, to them, he said, depart from me, I never knew you. And they fully thought, they were totally sincere, they really thought they were saved. Lord, Lord, have we not done all these things? And yet there they didn't have the faith. So we have an objector here just, you know, comparing notes and says, listen, I have faith, but I'm going to show you through my works. And then he ends by, by looking at the enemy, an illustration of the enemy. That's, that's the demons. Look at verse 19. It says, you believe that God is one. And by the way, all Jews would believe that God is one. Deuteronomy, the Shema. Uh, said that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. You believe that God is one. You do well. You do excellent. I mean, James actually, you know, when you're uh, confronting somebody, it's, if you can point out a good point, that's great. And, and James points out the good point. You do well. I mean, it's good that you understand that. Now, he didn't go any beyond that because actually Deuteronomy 6 says, Verse 5, the next verse says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and might. But James says, Listen, you do well. You understand that God is one. But look at the, kind of, the, the point. Second part of verse 19. The demons also believe and tremble. So he says, Listen, just because, you have, just because you're theologically correct doesn't make you saved. Are the demons saved? By the way, do you understand that the demons have good theology? 
Demons really have good theology. There's not one, a demon, there's not one demon out there that is an atheist. By the way, they are all monotheistic. They all understand there is one true God. They all understand... In fact, Hugh says this, demons have better theology than we do. And in many respects, some demons do. I mean, they know that the Word of God is the Word of God. They know that Quran isn't. They know that Jesus is God's Son, that salvation is by grace, that Jesus died and was buried and raised again to atone for sin. They understand all that. The demons believe and tremble. That Christ is now seated in the heaven, heavenlies beside the Father at the right hand. That there's a literal heaven and there's a literal hell. But as one man said, they know the truth quite well, but hate it. And they hate God. And they reject in the sense of not wanting anything to do with God. And I believe James is going back. He says, listen, you believe that there's one God, you do well. Even the de- demons believe and tremble. I mean, shudder. Tremble means total fear. I mean, they're in total fear. Because they're not the redeemed. I mean, demons, angels can't be redeemed. But just because you have good theology doesn't make you saved. See, there is a belief which is not real, true faith. True faith goes beyond mere assent to the truth to trusting in the truth in Christ. And that's why in verse 20, look at verse 20. But do you, do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? So again, again, my purpose here is not to um, just purposely make you uh, lack your assurance of salvation, but to actually just question and say, you know what? Faith always has works. That's what real faith is. Real trusting, saving faith is always going to be working in a person's life, being transforming them from glory to glory, as Corinthians says. So foolish man, faith without works, if you have faith without works, something that goes along with it, it's dead, it's lifeless. If you see it in your parent, it's lifeless. If you see it in your child, it's lifeless. If you see it in your own life, it's lifeless. Because true saving faith is going to honor Christ. It's going to become, the person is becoming more and more like Christ. Now, we may fall and be convicted, but that's fruit. That's a fruit right there. I'm convicted, and I go and confess it to the Lord. That's fruit. And when I walk away from Christ, I get depressed, and that's a fruit. And he brings me back, and that's a fruit. Okay? And that's how it may happen in your life, I trust. Let let me close this down. In Acts chapter 16, do you remember when Paul and Silas were in jail? They were singing, I think it was at midnight. Remember the earthquake? And the foundation of the prisons were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and every all everyone's chains were loose. Remember that? Acts 16. And the keep it says this, and the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, suppose that the prisoners were gone, and by the way, if they were gone, that meant he was going to die, so he was going to just accelerate the process, and he was going to kill himself. And Paul says, no, the doors are open, but we're all here. You don't have to kill yourself. And 
I'm sure just amazed at that. And, and then amazed in the fact that probably listening to Paul and Silas singing all night and stuff, praising God after they've been beaten in jail and everything else. This is what the prisoner or the, the jailer said. Sir, I mean, can you, do you see the transformation in Paul's life? I mean, total impact on this man. That's how it should be in our lives. Our lives should be impactful on people. But then the man turned and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? I can't, how can you... You know, up to this point, but now I see the power of God. And so they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The New American says this, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and this is what salvation is. This is what true salvation is. Believing in... That, that, that word shows motion. When you say in, direction, location, motion. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Towards... Rest upon. He's the object. How, do you, how does a person get saved? It's when a person realizes, I need salvation. I am damned. I am a sinner before a holy God. And Christ died. And the word believe means put your faith and trust in Christ. Only Christ. No others. It's not about religion. It's not about being part of this church. It's just about Christ. And so that's what Paul says. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's an absolute. If a person puts their faith and trust and rest in Him and Him alone and everything rests on Him and you trust Christ and rely on Christ and you receive Christ, then you are saved. And that's why in Romans 10, verse 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, now you say, well, what is that? That's actually the outward. That's the works. You, you, you trust Jesus, you, you confess, you're willing to confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What do you mean you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? You believe that God the Father accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and he affirmed that and he showed it by raising him from the dead. So how does a person get saved? I trust in Christ alone. But it's not just trust in the sense of it's dead, it's trust, and I'm willing to even confess Him. Not just as Jesus, not as Jesus Christ, as Lord. I am ready to confess Him as Lord. I'm willing to walk with Him as Lord. I want Him as my Master. I believe that's what true salvation is. It's less, and I know some of you, you know, when you got saved, we said, I didn't really understand Christ as Lord. Well, is He God? Did you understand that he was God? If he's God, then he's Lord, right? He's master. He is master. And it says that the jailer got saved. Well, last final point. True faith, therefore, and this is in your outline, true faith produces fruit in a believer's life. True faith will produce fruit. In, in our home group, we went over this in a, in a short style, but if you go to 1 John you see a lot of the fruit of salvation. I mean, in other words, how do you know that you're truly saved? Well, let me, let me give you three quick ones. You're going to be growing in your hatred for sin. You'll grow in your hatred for sin and seeing sin conquered in your life. First John 3, 9 says, No one who is born of God habitually practices sin. If you're born of God, it's not like you're going to habitually practice sin. Now, you may be falling into sin periodically, but it's not going to be like this. I just keep sinning. 
and nothing, nothing and no one convicts me and I'm focused and I'm doing my own thing and I just continue to do my own thing. The first John is very clear. If you're born of God, you will not continually practice, habitually practice sin. In other words, you will see sin patterns in your life being replaced by godly patterns. Number two, growing in my obedience to God's word, uh, to God's word it means growing that I've not arrived. I've not arrived. I'm growing. But as I grow, I don't look at the word of God as being burdensome. He says this, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And those commandments, 1 John 5, 3, are not burdensome. So I hate sin and I want to obey Scripture. By the way, I want to obey. How many of you are perfect at that? Does it convict your heart when you're not? And you know the passage and you know the truth and yet you still fail. You ever been there? But you run to God, you run to Christ. Please forgive me, wash me, cleanse me. And then finally, chapter 3, verse 14, 1 John says, If you've passed from death to life, you will love the brethren. Three very, these are the, some of the works, a lot more, but you could say it this way. I hate sin, I want to follow the word of God, and I love the brethren. People are frustrating, people are irritating. People hurt. Do people hurt you? People's words, people's actions, people's, the way they respond. And yet, a love of the brethren. You get envious of other Christians. You know, what they have, their relationships, their marriage, their children. Do you ever get envious, jealous, covet? Does that convict your heart? You know, Lord, why? Why do I have that in my heart? Lord, I want to, I want to be content in you. I want to love you and not have to look at people. Again, true faith, true faith is going to work. It's not just about a profession. It's about a possession. It's about Christ being in your life. And if Christ is in your life, I believe, again, hatred for sin, obedience to the word. Lord, I want to love the brethren. I see things in my life. I don't see some things. Lord, thank you. Thank you that some things in my life that were there aren't. But now I keep growing. And Lord, I I want to know. I want to listen. I want to listen to your word. I want to listen to people that are over me. (laughs) I even want to listen to my wife. If she has something good to say, as far as, that, I mean, like she's challenging me and sometimes, oh, whatever. Is there a humility in your life? Is there, or just arrogance? Now, nah, this, is, this is me. This is what John Prince does. No, no. No, we, we've got to be willing to say, Lord, show me the areas in my life that are, are wrong, but show me how I'm changing. That's what I ask God, because periodically I look at my life, I get discouraged. Oh, am I really changing and growing, or is this just kind of false? And I go back to Corinthians, examine myself. I want to examine and make sure that I'm in the faith, make sure that I'm truly growing. Yes, Lord, I'm saved. But Lord, show me the areas that I need to grow in. And I just gave you three that are really obvious. Is my attitude or sin? Is my love for the word that I really want to follow it? And how am I treating your family, Lord? How am I treating your family? Is there envy and jealousy in my life? It's been before. Is there covetousness? Is there anger and bitterness? Is there hurt and resentment that I'm holding? You know, because it's kind of, it's fun to lick my wounds. Am I truly being sacrificial? Am I using my giftedness for them or just because it's a paycheck? 
Hey, that's, that's my heart. Those are things I have to ask myself. For you, it's the same thing. Those are all the same thing. Are you really expending yourself for other people? Are you willing to sacrifice? Go beyond. Do you really love or is it just, is it a, um, is it a counterfeit love? I will do if, if, if I'm repaid in some way, feel love, whatever. Or is it, Lord, you know what? I love your people and I just want to serve your people because it's you. Because you're my master and I'm your slave and I just want to serve you. Jesus paid it all. What? All to him I owe. What else? Kinsman saying, he washed it white as snow. Let's stand as we sing that song. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, again, we know that you have purchased us with your own blood, that we're no longer our own, that we've been bought with a price. And yet, as we say that so often, we don't think of the fact that we are your slaves. We just think somehow you have purchased us and freed us to go on our way. And that, Lord, this whole metaphor of master-slave is very difficult in our lives. And yet I pray that you would be showing us more and more that in reality you are our Lord. Uh, We are not just your servants, but your slaves. It, it, It would just transform us so much to grab a hold of that concept. Lord, help us to to see in light of that, why worry? Because you're taking care of us. And we don't have a right to be bitter because you're taking care of us. And Lord, we don't even have a right to somehow think it's our agenda because it's really just yours. We know that as we have faith that we are saved. And yet as we seek to walk and be transformed, Lord, give us the right perspective. Lord, I pray that this week, You would help us to evaluate our lives. Again, with the things that are going on and the hurts and maybe the bitterness and the anger, maybe the anxiety and the worry, the fear, uh, all or lust, all the different things that could be there in our hearts and and help us to see how those are all destroyed if you're truly master in our life. I ask that you would guide us so that we might be changing and growing for your honor and glory in Christ's name. Amen.